0: number of years ago I became a citizen of the United States of America. And how many of you have ever had the privilege of becoming a naturalized citizen? Well, okay, how many of you have gone to a swearing-in ceremony? Okay, a couple of you, okay. So this was the interesting thing. Um, I was sworn in at the Dirksen Federal Building in Chicago and um, I was with probably my, my wife's American so my kids uh, they actually have dual citizenship with Canada and so um, you go down you say the oath of allegiance which some of you you guys will say the pledge of allegiance. Pledge of allegiance is nothing compared to the oath of allegiance. The oath of allegiance is they use the same words that have been used since 1776 and it's a very powerful thing but before you get sworn in and you say the oath of allegiance The judge gives instructions and says you have privileges and rights as citizens of the United States of America, but you also have responsibilities. And she said your number one responsibility is to do what? Vote. That's what she said, and so she said, the number one thing you're responsible to do is to vote. And so I remember that occasion very well, and remembered that she said, it's not just about freedoms that you have, but the responsibilities you have because of that freedom. July 4th, 1776 is significant in American history because that's the day that what? Declaration of Independence. Independence from Great Britain. Isn't that kind of funny? You got a Canadian preaching to you about independence? (laughs) It was on that day that the 13 colonies of the United States of America declared independence from Great Britain. I would encourage all of you to read the Declaration of Independence. You should at least read it once a year, maybe on July 4th. It's a day to remember independence from something and freedom to something. Freedom from taxation without representation. Freedom to self-government. Freedom from and freedom to. Freedom to what? To govern ourselves. It wasn't absolute freedom without laws. No, absolutely not. That would be anarchy. And so in addition to the Declaration of Independence, there was the U.S. Constitution that was signed on September 17, 1787, and then the Bill of Rights was signed on December 15, 1791. The Bill of Rights, that's something else that you should all read, the Bill of Rights is the first ten amendments to the United States Constitution. It was proposed following the sometimes bitter fights that happened in 1787-88 to over the ratification of the Constitution. And basically, there were um, specific guarantees for personal freedoms and the limiting of government. Limiting the power of government. And the explicit declaration that the powers not specifically given to the Congress would reside with the states or would reside with the people. Now these types of things, the Bill of Rights, interesting thing is they come from other documents and one of those documents I have in my office, not the actual, it's a copy of it, which was written in 1215. And how many of you remember what that was? Magna Carta. So I have a Magna Carta in my office, not that you'd be able to read it because it's written in Latin shorthand. So. And when you celebrate July 4th, it's always good to remember that we were freed from something and freed to something. Once I became a citizen, I was amazed. Before I became a citizen, I didn't really care about the elections because I didn't get to vote. Now you get to vote, and so I was very interested in the whole process and the democratic process. Freed from and freed to. And in our text today that we're going to look at, it's Galatians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul reminds the early church that they have been freed by Christ. Freed from something and freed to something. Listen to the first verse from Galatians 5. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And later on, the Apostle Paul would say these words in verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Amen. The idea of freedom, freedom from something and freedom to something, is something that the early church had to struggle with because what were they going to use their freedom for? And so I want to look at this in in light of, since we're in America, and America is based on, or everyone thinks, you know, it's freedom, freedom, freedom. The national symbol of America is eagle, free, flies wherever it wants, but it's an individual, right? National symbol in Canada is what? Royal Canadian Mounted Policeman. A symbol of authority, laws and justice. Think, look, this is interesting. Again, Canadian preaching to you about freedom from Great Britain. So, let's look at our text today, Galatians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Galatia and he says these great words. Galatians 5, we'll read verse 1 and then we'll jump down again to 13 and following. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm them and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Then verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the Spirit the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discourse, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit... Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Now many of the founders of the United States of America understood these principles of being freed from something and freed to something. In the years before signing the Declaration of Independence, there were heated debates about whether or not the American people were moral enough to govern themselves. And many modern Americans have long since forgotten the heated debates that took place in 1775 and 1776 over the issue of morality. For many Americans, the big question of independence hung on whether or not the people were sufficiently virtuous and moral to govern themselves. Self-governance was commonly referred to as republicanism, And it was universally acknowledged that a corrupt and selfish people could never make the principles of republicanism operate successfully. Government of the people, by the people, for the people. If it is not a moral and virtuous people, this won't work. So Benjamin Franklin wrote, only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. As nations become corrupt and vicious, they have need, more need of masters. And when the Founding Fathers were talking about public morality or virtue, they had in mind a very specific quality of human maturity and character and service, closely akin to what we would call the Golden Rule. It was agreeing to forego some personal advantage for the betterment of one's neighbor and society. The historian Gordon Wood wrote, In a republic, however, each person must somehow be persuaded to submerge his or her personal wants into the greater good of the whole. This willingness of the individual to sacrifice their personal interest for the good of the community, such patriotism or love of country, the 18th century termed public virtue. The 18th century mind was thoroughly convinced that a popularly based government cannot be supported without this virtue. But the founding fathers knew, though, that virtue, the virtue necessary for freedom, could not be legislated. It must come freely from the hearts of people that have this conviction. And you've heard these words before. Each individual is created equal to all others, and that they have the same unalienable rights to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness. It must come as a result of people wanting to fulfill this commandment to love God and to love their fellow human beings and to not be arbitrary in their treatment of others. And so contrary to what many people think today, the founders of this country felt that morality and religion were the only true basis for lasting virtue. The founders had an instinctive thirst for independence, independence from and freedom to. But there there remained the haunting fear that maybe we aren't good enough to make it work. And it's in this historical context that modern Americans appreciate the profound anxiety which the founders expressed concerning the quality and virtue of morality in their descendants. And they knew that without these qualities, the Constitution that they had written and the Republican system of government, which it provided, could not be maintained. And so James Madison wrote, Is there no virtue among us? If there be not, we are in a wretched situation. He went on and wrote, No theoretical checks or form of government can render us secure to suppose that any form of government will secure liberty and happiness without any virtue in the people is a chimerical idea. If there be sufficient virtue and intelligence in the community, it will be exercised in the selection of these men, so that we do not depend upon their virtue or put confidence in our rulers, but in the people who choose them." And Thomas Jefferson would say, "Virtue." is not hereditary. Virtue has to be earned, and it has to be learned. Neither is virtue a permanent quality in human nature. It has to be cultivated continually and exercised from hour to hour and day to day. And so the founders looked to three things to develop this virtue. They looked to the home, they looked to school, and they looked to churches to fuel the fires of virtue from generation to generation. Home, school, and churches. After serving eight years as the first president of the United States of America, who was? George Washington, very good. George Washington sensed the tendency of the people in this free republic to begin to forget the bedrock of virtue and morality necessary for the preservation of the republic the founders had given. And thus in his farewell address he said these words, Of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. The founding fathers of the United States of America knew that they were being freed from something, freed from Great Britain. Freed from taxation without representation. Free to what? Self-government. But it would only work if we were a virtuous and moral people. And so in America, we talk about America being the land of the free. Free to do what? Well, let's take it, this takes us back to Galatians chapter 5. And what the Apostle Paul wrote. You have been freed in Christ. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm in them and do not let yourself be enslaved again. Enslaved to what? You have been freed from something and freed to something. So listen to these words again from verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Isn't this what's happening in our world today? We are biting and devouring each other. We are destroying each other with selfish ambition and selfish selfish motivation. So the Apostle Paul went on in verse 16. So I say live by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit who indwells us and fills us. Live by the Spirit and we will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the flesh desires or the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. To be controlled by the Holy Spirit so that we do not just do anything, but we do what God wants us to do. We have been freed from that sinful nature with its desires that are contrary to the will of God. Verse 19, Paul gives a list of some of the things that are part of this sinful nature. He says, these are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discourse, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I think if you just think of a couple cities in America, sort of describes them. Actually, might describe most of them. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, will not inherit the kingdom of God. People around the world say, what are you doing with your freedom in America? Look at what you do in your cities. We've been freed from and freed to. What are we using our freedom for? When we look at our society and our world, sometimes freedom is a good thing. Sometimes freedom is a bad thing. What we need is to have our lives transformed by God to be the people that use freedom to serve one another in love. Only Jesus can transform us in the way that is needed to create the kingdom of God on earth. And so Paul goes on in verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit. And isn't this... The society in which we want to live, where there is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Think about this. If we just took that verse and applied it to how we drive, we wouldn't need a speed limit, would we? Would you? No. Think about going to the store if we just lived this way. And he goes on, verse 24, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its desires and passions. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So what he's saying there is, we've died to this old sinful nature. We have died to it. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are no longer to be enslaved by the sinful nature. Rather, we now have the Holy Spirit living in us. But, here's the problem. God gives us the freedom to follow Him freely. We have to choose to do that. He won't force us to do that. And so this old sinful nature keeps calling us back, calling us back, calling us back. It would be a lot more fun if you lived this way you've seen the ads on TV what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas there is a lie (laughs) freedom from freedom to but God won't force us to live according to the spirit he wants us to do this on our own And isn't this a society in which we want to live, where there is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control? Absolutely. But it's got to start with us. So how are we to do? What are we to do? How do we do this? All I know is, every morning I get up, I have to die to that old nature. Because it's always there, talking, tempting, And say, Heavenly Father, I need your Holy Spirit to have full control of my life. And you have to sacrifice over and over and over again. Not just once. Why? Because that old sinful nature is there. Calling you back. And the Holy Spirit saying, I want to give you life. Life that will bring true happiness. To freely submit yourself to the control of the Holy Spirit that's how we should use our freedom then we can serve one another in love Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12 starts Romans chapter 12 by saying therefore basically Romans chapters 1 through 11 say this is what God has done for you because of what God has done for you in the person of Jesus Christ he, Jesus died for your sins he gave his own life for your life He paid the penalty for your sins. He died on the cross. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of your sins. And he gives to you this as a gift. Therefore, chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of all that God has done for you, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We are to continually and constantly remember the love of God and Jesus Christ for us. And so last week we started the new year celebrating communion together. And every time you celebrate communion, you are reminded of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Your freedom came at a price. And it was the life of Jesus Christ. He gave his life for you and for me and for the entire world that we would be free from sin, free from fear, free from guilt, freed to love. And he offers that to us as a gift. We have been freed from trying to earn our salvation on our own. We can't earn our own salvation. We have been freed from that in order to receive our salvation as a gift from God. And so, Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 wrote these words. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works that no one should boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You have been saved by grace through faith. God did this for you, offers it to you as a gift. And so we are to live our lives in response to all that God has done for us. Not so that we earn his salvation, absolutely not, but because we have received his salvation now love. Live your life in response to this gift. If you're following along in the notes there, I gave some other uh, passages of scripture to take note of. One is in Philippians chapter 2 and then the other is in Romans chapter 12. But I want to end reading the verses from Colossians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul talks about what the life we're supposed to live is like. Since we are part of the family of God now, what is it supposed to look like? And the problem is, there is a problem with freedom. What are you going to do with your freedom? Freed from and freed to. So here are these words from Colossians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul writes, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature or your sinful nature. Die to it, as if it has no power over you. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the sinful nature. And he gives a list again. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge of the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach admonish, and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let me ask you... This question. When did you sign your declaration of independence? When did you sign your declaration of independence? Independence from the old sinful nature and independence to live the life that Jesus has called us to. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. What are you doing with your freedom today? Let us serve one another, and love one another, and so bring honor and glory to God in all that we do. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to know of your love, your grace, and your mercy. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And the freedom that we have in him. Heavenly Father, help us. We need your help each and every day. We need your help every moment of every day. To die to the old sinful nature and live according to your spirit. And so, Lord, we ask for your help. We ask for your grace. We ask for your mercy. And we will give you all the praise and glory. For we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.